Coming up on episode 18 of the Keto Camp Podcast, we have author, entrepreneur, and prosperity teacher, Sean Croxton. out there to criticize and condemn you for, you know, trying to become somebody new, you know, for trying to break the bonds that you have with certain beliefs and certain ideas and certain opinions that you've held subconsciously for so long. When you start to rise up, people just want to pull you down. So you have to get to the point in your life where you understand like, yo, this is my life. This is what I want to do. I can't go through the rest of my life afraid that when I do the thing that I really want to do, everybody's going to stop loving me. That's their problem. You know, if they're going to stop loving me because I want to improve myself, that wasn't really love in the first place. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. This episode's a very special episode because Sean is not only a good friend of mine, he's also a coach and a mentor to me. I actually reached out to him over a year ago or about a year ago about branding, about how to get this message about keto, fasting, and all this knowledge I've accumulated out into the world. And out of that spawned Keto Camp. And we talk about that on this episode at the beginning, you're gonna hear the genesis of Keto Camp and you could thank Sean for that. Sean has been in the health space for a very long time. He had a top 20 podcast, you might've heard it back in the day, called Underground Wellness. He had amazing guests. He was actually one of the pioneers in the holistic health space, especially with podcasts. So he's very much entrenched in the health space and he's very influential and he's been influential in this health space On this episode, we talk about his experience on the Underground Wellness Radio podcast and why he made the decision to shut that down and follow his heart, follow his burning desire to live on purpose with his purpose. So if you're somebody who is wondering, you know, what is my calling? Why am I here on earth? And you're looking for your purpose, this is a great episode for you to listen to and you might get inspiration from Sean's story. Sean is currently a mentor to so many people, including myself. He's a prosperity teaching. He teaches the importance about having financial literacy, having financial freedom so you could help more people and achieve more things in life. He is an amazing entrepreneur, an amazing guy. He wrote the book, Dark Side of Fat Loss. It's an ebook and he started a company called JERF, which stands for Just Eat Real Food. It's a great movement. You might've seen it on t-shirts. You might've tried his JERF bars. I'm gonna put links for his Jerf bars, for his website, for everything. If you wanna get to learn more about Sean, you can learn all about him in the notes of this. So now what he's up to in this world is teaching other people how to gain more prosperity. So he's gonna talk about that. We also talk about in this episode why it's important to calm down and speed up and how to do so, how to use your brain, how to use breathing, how to use meditation 
to calm down, activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So you could use that to get better keto results, better fasting results. A lot of people, they are in this sympathetic state, this fight or flight state, and it's important to have a healthy balance of parasympathetic and sympathetic. So Sean talks about that. He also talks about ways for you to master your mindset, not only when it comes to making, earning more money, but also just having to get rid of self-limiting beliefs. We talk about a lot of cool things actually in this episode, and I'm grateful to share him with you. I'm grateful that he's on this show because he is the person who helped create Keto Camp. So without further ado, I'm gonna bring him on into the show. And real quick before I do, Make sure you leave a rating and a review for the Keto Camp Podcast. It means so much to podcast creators. If you're getting any value from it, that would mean so much to me. And also take a screenshot of this episode on your phone and upload it to your Instagram story or your Instagram profile and tag me or Sean. And I'll make sure I reshare it so we can get some other people following you back. My Instagram handle is at T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I. So that's at the Benazadi. And Sean's over at at Sean Croxton on Instagram. So go ahead and do that. And this podcast episode is sponsored by Keto Camp Coffee. So that's Purity Coffee, my favorite keto coffee beans on planet Earth. You could get your highest antioxidant beans, no mold. Uh, it helps you get more keto results. It helps you with your brain function. And you know that it's non-toxic over at www.ketocampcoffee.com to get your bag of purity coffee beans. So let's get into this episode with the man, Sean Croxton. Sean Croxton is a podcast host, author, entrepreneur, and a prosperity teacher. You may know him from the being the host of the Underground Wellness Radio, one of the internet's most popular health podcasts in the history of podcasts. During his seven years as the host of the Underground Wellness Podcast, he penned the still popular Dark Side of Fat Loss ebook. He started the JERF movement, Just Eat Real Food, and hosted several online summits, including the thyroid sessions, digestion sessions, and the depression sessions. But a lot has changed since then. In late 2015, Sean decided to move on from holistic health to create a new movement in the world of personal development and the science of the mind. He's now the host of the Quote of the Day show, the number one daily motivational podcast featuring short inspirational teachings from the best of the best speakers in the world. Sean is also the creator of the Money Mind Academy, an eight-week course that will completely change your relationship with money. Sean is also the creator of Mind Camp. You can find that channel on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and put in Mind Camp, you can learn more about it. That's camp with the K, just like Keto Camp. All right, without further ado, here is Sean Croxton. Sean Croxton, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Mr. Ben, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm grateful to have you on here. I, I know that a lot of the listeners on here, they don't know this fact, but you are the mastermind, the genius behind Keto Camp. You helped me come up with the Keto Camp name. So everybody, this is the man right here, Sean Croxton. It occurred to me one day in a dream. Fast, flex, adapt phase, or something like that. I don't know what it is. But yeah, yeah, man, I'm really, really excited about what you're doing, man. Happy to contribute to it and uh, see it start to blow up, man. You're, you're really, really crushing and changing people's lives. Yeah, that's what it's about. And thank you. Your fingerprints are all, all over that. And let's talk about you. You are somebody I've looked up to for, I don't know how long now, maybe eight or nine years when you were running the Underground Wellness podcast. But before we even get to that point, I know you grew up in Oakland. You lived there for about 10 years. 
and you lived a very similar life. Actually, you have a lot of similarities to me. Your mom worked three jobs and she, you, you, you share a story about her, about you waking up in the morning and your mom already being at work, you going to bed at night and your mom is still at work. So how was it like living in, in that kind of household compared to the lifestyle you're living in right now? Well, well I lived in Oakland since I was 10 when my parents were, were together. Then at 10, we moved with my mom, my brother and I moved with my mom to Alameda, which is right next door to Oakland. And dad wasn't contributing anymore. So mom had to work multiple jobs and dad left and we didn't know where the guy was. And so it, it was it was interesting to grow up that way, to not really have that that presence. And of course, it was all kind of other drama that I really don't talk about going on within family. But, you know, to compare it to or to contrast it with, you know, my life right now is, is, is really interesting. I think if I didn't have those experiences of kind of living at the poverty line, really, I probably wouldn't have the value that I have on abundance. You know, I wouldn't have had that desire to have something better for my life. I remember, you know, we used to eat chicken all the time. It was chicken every freaking day. And my mom would save up enough money to go get us like Dungeness crabs. And we would all sit on the table or sit on the floor with newspaper all over the carpet. And we'd just sit there together as a family, my brother and my mom and I, and just like throw down on some Dungeness crab. And it was just like the best day we do every few months when we had enough money for it. And, you know, I always said to myself, one day I am going to be so prosperous that I can have crab whenever the I want to have crab. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, it was a driver for who I am now. And if it wasn't for that experience, I'm not really sure who or what I would be. For myself, I could totally relate to that because what I want to, I want to repay my mom's back so much and I want to take care of her. And that motivates me so much. So when you were growing up, was that one of the major for, or the main forces that drove your motivation to be financially free? Was it your mom? Uh, she was definitely a huge influence, her, her work ethic. And of course, I would, I would love to have my mom live a better life. And I think I've contributed to that in, in many ways over the last several years. Again, it was just a really influential time for my life in terms of what I didn't want. You know, I just didn't want to live that way. I would do pretty much anything to get my hands on some money. Like I myself, like would work three jobs in the summertime. You know, I always, I mean, I, I got my, my workers permit when I was like 14 or 15 years old. So I could start making my money. I used to work at the boys and girls club. And at the end of the day, because all the kids would throw their cans away in the, the trash, I would, in their bottles, I would like go around the boys and girls club with a, with a hefty bag and put all the stuff, all the cans and stuff, all the recyclables in there. And I would carry them home like a mile home, just, you know, looking like a kind of a, looking like a hobo really carrying around a big bag of cans. But you know, that's what I needed in order to create a better life for myself. And I'll never forget, like my mom took me to like a college counselor when I was in um, high school, maybe, maybe my senior year, and we're trying to figure out, like, what did I want to do with my life? Like, what did I want to study? And, you know, the guy was like, you know, what is, what is your son good at? She was like, he's really, really good at making money. You know, and that's just, it's just in my DNA, I guess. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur, so I had that experience of seeing my dad go to work every day, he would come home tired, and then on Saturday and Sunday, he would go to the swap meet 
he would sell like random stuff like um, Rambo knives and butterfly knives and stun guns and like bootleg Gucci and guest sweatshirts and whatnot. I just remember just being there with him and I'll be sitting in the van or I'd be helping him out and I would see him with this big wad of cash in his back pocket and I'd be like, oh my gosh, look at all that money right there. Because the money to me was just a representation of freedom and options. And so, you know, during that time from like 10 on to when I went to, to college, like money was in such short supply that I couldn't have the things that I really wanted. Like all the other kids had cars and I didn't have a car. You know, I was still walking. I was still walking until I was in my second year of, of college. And so it was just, again, a great learning experience. It showed me the value of earning money. It showed me the, the freedom of earning money and also showed me that in order to have more money, you got to do more service. You have to become more valuable as a human being in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Did, did you ever have a negative connotation with money growing up? Oh, yeah. Oh, most definitely. And I think that's what put a cap on my financial success for a very long period of time. You know, we all grow up learning how to survive in this world, learning what's good and what's bad. And, you know, for me, I think my dad had a pretty good mindset around money. And, you know, I feel like I got some of the stuff, the positive stuff from him. But at the same time, like there was probably some limiting beliefs that I got from my mom. And I'm not knocking her for that by any means, but, you know, when she would make comments about rich people, because we lived in Alameda, it's kind of like a middle-class community and we were poor. And so it was kind of us and there was them. My mom would cut out coupons every Sunday. And if we didn't have a coupon for it, then we couldn't buy it. You know, that type of stuff that showed me that, number one, there is an us versus them. We the good people, they the bad people. If we can't afford it, then we can't have it. Money is scarce. The only way that we're ever going to make money is by winning the lottery. Those type of behaviors and words that I would see and hear that really influenced me when it comes to my subconscious beliefs about money. And it wasn't until, um, I think it was November 29, 2000. Eight in 2009, I know that number for a reason, my buddy showed me about, he introduced me to this idea around values. You know, do you actually have a value around the thing that you want? And I found that my value around earning, saving, and investing money was very low. And when something's very low on your values, then, you know, the littlest challenge can present itself to you. And you're like, oh, I'm good. I quit. I'll try it some other time or never try again. But the things that we are, we hold in high esteem, that we hold a high value on, those things that we're inspired to do. You know, we don't need motivation. We have attention surplus. We have intention surplus. We have lots of uh, order and organization around those highly valued things. And I didn't have that around money. So I actually had to teach myself how to do that. And I also had to find out, like, what were these limiting beliefs that were holding me back? What were these conflicts that I had? And I had to resolve them. And when you do that, it really opens you up for the abundance that you're here. You're just really here to receive. It just takes a little work sometimes. Yeah. In 2009, November, was that the audio that your friend Antonio sent you of Dr. John D. Martini? man does his homework. You're doing the Howard Stern today. Hello. Uh, yeah, he sent me that audio file of uh, Dr. Martini, and I, I listened to that thing hundreds of times. Like, that thing was just in my ears for probably a year over and over again. And, you know, I remember he said, uh, the amount of money that you have will always be in direct proportion to the quality and the quantity of service that you provide. 
And I'm, you know, thinking to myself, like, what is the quality and the quantity of the service I provide? You know, I'm doing these YouTube videos, it's great quality, but I'm not providing like high quality products yet. I'm not making those offers yet because I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me. Are people going to call me a sellout? Like nobody wants to be called a sellout. But am I building this community, these tens of thousands of YouTube followers who absolutely love me and we all want love and connection and always say that the greatest fear that we have around finances is not the fear of failure. It's not the fear of rejection. It's not the fear of success, which a lot of people will be surprised that there's lots of fears around success, but it's the fear of the loss of love. That is a big one for people out there to criticize and condemn you for, you know, trying to become somebody new, you know, for trying to break the bonds that you have with certain beliefs and certain ideas and certain opinions that you've held subconsciously for so long. When you start to rise up, people just want to pull you down. So you have to get to the point in your life where you understand like, yo, this is my life. This is what I want to do. I can't go through the rest of my life afraid that when I do the thing that I really want to do, everybody's going to stop loving me. That's their problem. You know, if they're going to stop loving me because I want to improve myself, that wasn't really love in the first place. That's more of an agreement as to how you're going to be in this relationship and if you decide to be something else then you get cut off and disconnected you get kicked out of the tribe and if that's the case i can go find myself a brand new tribe yeah i think that's so powerful not just for finances but if somebody wants to change their health and they've been hanging around with the circle of unhealthy people you know they might lose that friendship they might not spend more uh, as much time with those people because they're just on a different frequency and you said it so eloquently you know it makes a lot of sense and it's it's different when you're actually experiencing that with your circle. So I want to know when you were making those changes, I know that you started making offers on your videos and you had a comment or two saying sell out, but most of it, like 98% of it was positive. But what about the people in your life that you were seeing on a daily basis? Did you ever get any negative comments from them directly talking to you? Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a, a buddy of mine, we, we've gotten past this, but there was a network marketing product that I it took me a long time to make this decision, but I decided because it's a really good product to promote to my YouTube followers. And he was on board for a little while, and then he he flipped. And you know, I remember we sat down at King's Restaurant, King's Seafood Restaurant, and he gave me this little lecture about you know making money and whatnot online. And he told me that I might want to stick to my roots. You know, what the f does that mean? <laughs> stick to your like stick to being broke is that what we do we just make content for people and we really like serve people and, and change their lives and be broke at the same time like no i want to create a better life for myself in order for me to help people at a higher level we need to create income from ourselves to fund the things that we want to do like there's no free websites. There's no free membership programs. You know, there's no free payment gateways and there's no free uh, employees. Like it doesn't really work that way. You know, that caused a, a big issue in our relationship for, for quite a long time until we figured it out. But, you know, these are things that happen to people all of the time because when people see you, I'm using a, this is a generalization when I say people, when people see you rising up, it intimidates them. It makes them feel uncomfortable because, you know, when you start rising up, it makes them feel a little bit inadequate. 
you know, like they should be doing that, but they're scared to do. And if they're scared to do it, that's okay. That's where they are in their journey at the moment. It's okay, but you can't continue to, you know, take the air out of our balloons whenever people start, you know, judging and criticizing us. Like that's their point of view. You know, everybody's got a point of view. Everybody's got an opinion based on, you know, their subconscious mind and their habits of thinking and feeling or their experiences that they've had in their lives. And that's okay. Again, it's like your life to live. You might only have one of them, so you might as well make the most of it. But I've never, ever been want to get to my deathbed one day and be like, I should have done that. But the reason I didn't do it was because such and such thought I shouldn't. Nah, dude, I'm cool. Where did that mindset come from? Was it from the books that you read? I mean, for those watching the YouTube video, Sean has a lot of books behind him and he's a very uh, avid reader. So where did this mindset come from? Did it just come from experiences and books or was it a specific book? How did you get this type of conviction that you have right now? You know, it, it must have come from books. I used to read Michael Jordan books. Like if you name the Michael Jordan book prior to 1990, I read it. Like I was a little Michael Jordan junkie. And it's just something about his work ethic. There's something about his mindset that was very inspiring to me. I think I might have read Malcolm X's book, and I think he may have been the guy who said, you know, you can do whatever you put your mind to. I think that's what maybe where I got that idea from. He probably didn't originate that phrase, but that's where the idea possibly came from. And you know, I, I've always been a guy, I was just, I just did a podcast before yours, and, you know, this is something that landed on me at a very young age, like, whatever I put my mind to, I can do. Like, I was the student in school who teachers would pull aside pretty frequently and be like, hey, man, like, when you apply yourself, you are smart. Like, you're the smartest kid in the room. But there was just so much stuff going on with our family that I just really didn't have the focus, you know, for school, I would turn it on, I would turn it off. Or if I'm playing basketball or playing 21 and I'm down like 19 to 5, I knew if I put my mind to it, I would win that game. And I would win that game every single time. I put the vision in my head, me winning, and I would come back and I would win. I would even get to like 20 and miss the free throw and have to go back to 12, and i come back again and win. Like that's just like the, how powerful I thought my mind was. And so, you know, that's kind of where it all began, books and application, really. Yeah, I love that. I, I used to play 21 all the time as well. Uh, okay, so let's get back to your college years. You went to uh, college in San Diego. And what made you decide or where did the decision come from to study health in college? Do you know the answers to the question, to these questions? I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Man. You're going to be a good podcaster. <laughs> um, when I do my podcast, I do the answer to every single question. I know. You told me that, yeah. Hey, Sean, I, I, I listen to you and I take action on everything you coach me on. You do, you do. So my uncle and my aunt live here, lived here, my aunt's still here, and my brother and I would come out here when we were kids. So we would spend like a couple of weeks in the summer in San Diego, and I just always wanted to live here. Like San Diego, it's sunny and it's the ocean. It's like, and then there's like these black people, like my aunt and my uncle, like who have a diving board and a swimming pool in the backyard. And my uncle just like, I don't even know if he works. We just go fishing, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, they were a really important model for me as a kid. And it just really left an impression. Like, you know, Uncle Robert's got a nice car. Aunt Dorothy's got a nice car. They live in San Diego. And, and so I, I kind of knew 
that at some point I was going to live here. I didn't know for sure if it was going to be college, but I've also applied to a few other schools, but San Diego accepted me and, you know, I packed my bags and came on down here. I was 17 years old and um, I've been here ever since. But, you know, my uncle and my aunt were a huge influence upon me big time. Yeah, and, and when you were in college, you graduated and you became a personal trainer. Similar to me, actually. I was a personal trainer for 10 years. And it's funny because we both had social anxiety. Yours might have been a little bit more severe than mine. And it's funny because the reason it's funny is because typically a, a personal trainer and having social social anxiety, it's kind of like it doesn't make sense to be a personal trainer with social anxiety because you have to be out there with people. Uh, so how, how was that for you? What, what happened? I know there was a session. You were having a session with a client and uh, you were taking some medication for the social anxiety and uh, you had a breakdown. Could you explain what happened during that session? I had decided, I did some study up on social anxiety and I remember Ricky Williams, the football player, he was kind of telling everybody about his struggle at the time as well. And uh, he said that he was on Paxil to help with social anxiety. Like, Ricky Williams used to do interviews with his helmet on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I cannot imagine being as famous as Ricky Williams was and having social anxiety. Like, I would never leave the house. Ricky, some autograph. Like, yo, get away from me. You gotta scare me. But anyway, so I decided one day to go to Student Health Services at San Diego State. I think I was enrolled in grad school at the time temporarily and before I dropped out. And um, I wanted to get my hands on some Paxil. And I told the guy my symptoms and he put me on Prozac and I took the Prozac once and it was a Friday and it was you know probably like four o'clock or so so the gym was kind of dead on a Friday on a college campus in the summertime and I'm training Beth who I was just with the other day as a matter of fact and this incident was probably in 2003 and I'm training Beth and all of a sudden the room started spinning and I just didn't feel right and I remember just having to sit down and I'm just sitting there like hyperventilating, hyperventilating. And it was cool because Beth actually has um, trained in psychology. And so she was able to kind of help me through it. And somebody eventually like walked me over to the health services building. And um, it was a really scary experience, you know. People say like, you only took it once. It doesn't have enough time to, you know, get into your system. Taking it. Like, no, like I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like this really happened and so they switched my medication over but you know social anxiety was a, a big deal for me back in the day you know i can't say that it's completely gone you know but being a personal trainer social anxiety wasn't really that tough for me because i was in a familiar environment because i worked i worked as a personal trainer at a gym that i had worked out at you know for years prior to so the environment was familiar the people were familiar and so I think it wasn't so much about my social anxiety. It was more about my introversion and talking to people all day. That was hard for me because it would drain my energy. And by the time I got home, I was fully pooped. You know, that was tough on me, but it was an interesting experience. I never had a terrible experience with Paxil other than some stuff that you probably don't want to hear about. But um, yeah, so that was my experience there. Yeah, and I do remember Ricky Williams, by the way, uh, in those interviews. He, he, he played for the Miami Dolphins, which I'm from Miami, so I remember him very—I always see him in the streets, actually, uh, driving. Okay, so you went to college, you studied nutrition, and you started a YouTube channel. It was called—the first YouTube channel was called Food Dude, 
and uh, you made a video about calories in versus calories out, which you actually said you don't follow that approach right now. And it's actually, it was the wrong information from what you teach right now or what you would teach right now. And something you said on an, and I heard you on a previous interview on the Ultimate Health Podcast, you said after you put that video out the next day, you knew that it was gonna take off. You had a feeling that this video and the channel was gonna take off. Can you explain a little bit more about that feeling? Well, we have to understand that YouTube is new. This was 2006. There weren't a lot of health. Actually, I'm not sure if there were any. It was just like me and Dr. Mercola and Kevin Gianni, possibly, at the time, who were making health videos. But when I woke up the next morning, I'm not sure if I woke up or I just checked the next day, I was like, holy snap, like, there's, there's comments here, and there's, like, likes, and people are subscribing. And I remember, uh, like, a week or so into it, I had 600 subscribers, and I'm with my friend Mary one day, and she's like, how's that YouTube thing going? I was like, I got 600 subscribers. She's like, oh my God. Like, you haven't really been on there that long. And back then, 600 subscribers was kind of a big deal, you know, again, when YouTube started. And so I knew that whatever I was going to do on YouTube was going to crush it. I knew it was. I knew that people were confused about their health. I knew that there were so many different sources of information you don't really know who to trust. And I knew that if I were to, was to take that information and break it down in a way that everybody can understand, that there is no way that they couldn't love it, you know? And so, you know, my idea was to build up that channel and at some point turn it into a business. And while I had struggles around the business in the beginning, you know, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, you were one of the first YouTube channels in, in the health space, and you had one of the first podcasts, right? You had a top 20 podcast, which is how I discovered you, Underground Wellness. I've listened to every single episode on, on Underground Wellness, and I was so curious back in the day when you were releasing episode after episode, and I just absorbed it all, and I bought all of your uh, online courses as well, and I just love that stuff. And then you made a decision during the peak, probably one of the peaks of your podcast years, to shut down the podcast. And I know that one of the reasons was because, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but you got tired of telling people what's wrong with them and you wanted to change it up and you noticed your library was changing. You had more self-development books and you didn't have the passion for it anymore. So is that an accurate assessment? I like to quote Lisa Nichols on this one. She says, passions have seasons. And you know, for me, that season was over. It was just done. And it was seven years and I think after seven years, I think that's a pretty good time to start to look for other options. And it stopped lighting me up. You know, I like to say, like, how many ways can I tell people to eat real food? Like, how hard does this have to be? And I also felt like my podcast was a weekly parade of, and I love these experts. A lot of them are good friends of mine. But it was a parade of experts coming on the show saying, hey, you've got this wrong with you. It's a vitamin D deficiency or it's adrenal fatigue, or it's uh, dysbiosis, or it's gluten and celiac, or it's blood-brain barrier stuff. Like, I kind of started to feel like I was creating an audience of hypochondriacs, really, in orthorectics, or orthorexics, however you say it. And I, it just didn't feel good anymore. And I remember, like, books would land on my doorstep, you know, from people who wanted to have, who wanted to be on the show, and I had to force myself to read these books. Like, I'm like, oh, there's a stack of books over here. It's Tony Robbins, Dr. John Martini, Bob Proctor, Napoleon Hill, these guys. I really want to read that stuff. I find that fun, but I got to read another book about digestion. I don't want to do it. And at some point, I was like, you know what? 
I think I'm done. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do next, but I've got many hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. I've got time, you know? And I just decided, you know, have Reed Davis on the show. It was like the exact day. It was seven years to the day of him being my first guest on the show. And um, we got it done, and that's it. I, I literally cried once. I cried once. I think it was like after that episode, I cried. But after that, I was like, there was just a sense of freedom. Like that chapter of my life was over. It's time for something new. And I can't say that there wasn't a, an identity issue that went on there. It's like, I'm not the underground wellness guy. Like, who am I now? You know, because I had identified as that guy for so long. People would stop me in the streets and be like, hey, you're shot from underground wellness. Like, who am I? So that was a, it might have been a little challenging for me to deal with, but uh, I'm really glad that I moved on. Every once in a while, in a crazy moment, like if something doesn't go the way I want to in my, my current business, I'll be like, damn, dude, you shouldn't have left underground wellness. You'd have like a million people on your email list right now. You know, you would be killing it. You'd probably have products and be on TV and infomercials right now, but... I wouldn't have been happy because even still, if you put a health book in front of me, I'd be like, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm too busy for that. Yeah. Well, I acknowledge you, Sean, for taking action on what you knew was right. Uh, in- intuitively, you felt it. And uh, how important is it for somebody to live a life according to their highest values, their passion? How important is that? I think if you're not living according to your highest values, you're not really living. You know, you're living by social idealisms. You're living by something that somebody else or something outside of you said that you should do or you feel that you should do. And, you know, life is too short for that. And I think that a lot of us are so trapped or caught up in the how. You know, I want to do this other thing. That's what I really want to do, but I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. You know, when you commit to it, when you get fully aligned with your values, you commit to doing that thing that you want to do. The how just kind of shows up. And I think that most of us don't have the trust in the universe, you know, to attract those opportunities and those experiences and those people to us. But when you get aligned, really like miraculous things happen. It's not magic, but you have to take some action, um, a lot of action sometimes, but it, it works out and it's worth the discomfort. It's worth the unfamiliar feelings. And it makes a really good story as well. Who are some of the people that you started studying when you went that day, that week that you shut down underground wellness and you were kind of seeking out what's next for you? What were you reading back then? I got really deep in the beginning in Demartini, how to make a one hell of a profit and still get to heaven, uh, the breakthrough experience. He has a book on gratitude as well, the values factor. I was super deep into Demartini and my buddy gave me a, um, Dropbox folder full of Demartini talks and webinars and things like that. And so I got into him and then I pretty much gone through all of his stuff. I still refer back to it quite frequently now. Um, I got into Bob Proctor, deep into Bob Proctor, like as deep as you can get and listen to his stuff every single day while I was on my walks and memorize all that stuff. And then at some point I was like, okay, I want to learn something even deeper than this because, you know, in the self-help space, nobody's talking about like the deep rabbit hole stuff. What I mean by that is like the physiology behind it, the, the, the neuroscience behind it. I shouldn't say nobody, but not many people are talking about the neuroscience, the neurocardiology, the biochemistry, the quantum physics. And after diving into Bob Proctor, I was like, I want to figure all this stuff out. And that's what I was good at doing in the health space is connecting all of these dots. 
And so that's been what I've been doing over this last four or five years. It's just connecting dots. And every single time I sit down and read something, I'm like, oh, dot. And I just write it down or I put it on my board. And, and so just becoming more comfortable with the material. And so when I hear somebody like Bob or another guy say, you know, where your attention goes, your energy flows, I'm like, oh, you're lighting up the, you know, frontal parietal lobe of the brain. You're also activating your anterior center, the cortex. Um, you know, you're firing up your intention center and your particular activating system. And like, I, I, I get it from that level now. And I don't really teach it much on the podcast. Um, because I don't think the podcast is really about me. I like to feature other people on the podcast. I also think that's one of my problems. As you may know, like yesterday, we shot YouTube videos. And it was just really, really cool to actually be the expert and have the whiteboard out, just like I taught you. You know, like draw things out for people. And I hadn't done that. I hadn't made a YouTube video for five years. You know, like me. And yesterday shooting those videos, it felt like, you know, that's, that's who I am right there. And I watched the videos today, the editor sent them over, and I was like, yes, you know what I'm saying? Like, what took me so long to make these videos, you know what I'm saying? And so those videos, will I'm going to start releasing them tomorrow, as a matter of fact. And so I'm um, pretty pumped about that. I'm pumped about it too, man. Uh, Proctor have led to, you know, a, a deep rabbit hole that I'm fully immersed in. I can't wait to share with more people. Yeah, I can't wait to, for you to share with more people as well, Sean. Where where can they go? Is it uh, Sean Croxton on YouTube to, to look at those videos? No, I actually um, borrowed your name since I came up with it. <laughs> it's Mind Camp. Mind Camp with a K. Mind Camp with the K. Because you know what? I've always wanted to. I actually came up with Mind Camp a long time ago. I've always wanted to host live events called MK Ultra. And you know what MK Ultra is? No. MK Ultra is actually the name of the government's old mind control programs. You know, look it up. It's pretty fascinating. And so I've always really liked that name, MK Ultra. And I'm like, Mind Camp, Mind Camp Ultra. So we'll have like events and retreats and seminars and all that stuff under that brand. Oh, that's cool. That's that's really awesome. Mind Camp. I love that name. So there you go. By the time you hear this episode, Sean's going to have several videos on his YouTube channel. Mind Camp, Camp with a K. Out of all those dots that you're connecting right now, What's the most excited dot right now? You know what? I've been really, really enjoying studying a little bit of neurocardiology, um, the way in which the heart talks to the brain. Like in the communication between the brain and the heart, 90% of it actually goes from the heart to the brain. There's actually a brain. There's a little brain inside of your heart that actually stores information, stores memories, stores parts of your personality and all that stuff. And your heart itself is a broadcaster. Your heart itself is an electromagnetic frequency broadcaster, which extends like 10 to 15 feet outside of your body. Like your heart is your point of attraction. And then there's this, um, you know, some of your listeners may be familiar with heart rate variability which is the space in between your heartbeats. And you don't want that to be too low. If you have a very low, uniform heart rate in between the beats, it actually means you're pretty freaking unhealthy. You want there to be kind of chaos and disorganization between those beats, right? And so what dictates your heart rate variability is your emotions, you know, you have healthy heart rate variability when you're feeling feelings of love and joy and gratitude, enthusiasm, things of appreciation as well. And when you have those thoughts and you have those feelings, the 
communication that gets sent up to the brain brings the brain into a state of coherence. It balances out the brain waves. It's called cortical facilitation. This is when you have your best ideas, your best thoughts, you feel the most locked in. You just feel really good, you feel really aligned. But it really starts with feeling. And that feeling, again, broadcasts out to the universe, raises your frequency and you attract like energy back to you. I think it's uh, it's one of those things that I'll see posted about every once in a while on the Instagram or on the YouTube, but not enough people are talking about heart map and heart rate variability. It's, it's really, really, really fascinating. And so it's not, you know, it's about thoughts. Like thoughts are super important, but I think not enough credit is giving to the feeling part of it. More credit is given to the brain than is given to the heart. But the heart actually, what is it? Its magnetic frequency is 5,000 uh, times greater than the brain. Its electric frequency is 50 to 60 times that of the, the brain. And so if we're ignoring the heart, if we're ignoring the feelings, then it's really hard to attract what we want to our lives. That's really, really interesting. Heart rate variability is very important. I do track mine with my uh, aura ring here, and I think it's important to, to see where, where yours is at. So if somebody's doing keto and fasting, which typically those listening to my podcast are doing, and they're not getting the results they want, where does this fall into it, this, this feeling, this gratitude? How can they add this component to the nutrition, to the exercise, and even to the sleep? How can they add what you just explained, just easy, actionable steps they can add to what they're already doing? Well, I do just want to get back real quick because you mentioned your ring. I measure my <clears throat> heart rate variability with the M-Wave 2 from heart map. So I sit down in the morning, I do my transcendental meditation, I have it clipped onto my ear and I get to measure that variability and I can hear the pings, I can hear the feedback. I know when I'm in low variability, when I'm in medium, when I'm in high. I highly recommend that your audience get an M-Wave too. It is super cool. And I take, I have a, a, a sheet, a spreadsheet where I track all of my progress and I can see like, okay, what was my total coherence today? You know, what was it yesterday? Is it getting better or is it not? And how do I feel when I'm in a more coherent state? So I do it with that in the morning. And in the evening time, I do it with a Hemisync Binaural Beats audio meditation, which is really cool. It's about 40 minutes long or so. And I'll tell you, like, when I'm really consistent with that, my brain is locked in. I'm making better decisions. I handle stress so much better. Things don't piss me off the way that they sometimes can. Again, highly recommend it because it's great to have that feedback. To get to your, your, your question about how to incorporate this into keto, hey, what's the adherence to the keto diet? Like, are people pretty high when it comes to adherence or do people fall off pretty fast? They probably fall off pretty fast because they get the keto flukes, they do it the wrong way, or they don't replenish their electrolytes. So if they're doing, if they don't have a coach, if they're not following my videos, the adherence is pretty, they're going to fall off. And... I would say after 30 days or so, a lot of people are starting to go a different avenue. Yeah. So they start at some point to stop making good decisions when it comes to their diet. Yeah. So focusing on, number one, getting still, meditating, visualization really, really goes a long way. In doing that along with the M-Wave 2, capturing the heart coherence is going to be really, really important because as I said earlier, it gets you into that state of cortical facilitation where you actually use your prefrontal cortex better than you would without doing the exercises in order to make better decisions and choices when it comes to your diet. Also, when you're ever trying to create any kind of result in your life, remember your brain is a record of the past. 
which is why it continues to keep creating the same results that you were getting in the past. You tried keto, you did it for two weeks, you were super pumped about it, and then what happened? You fell off and your result became the same as the past. That's because the past is literally wiring in your brain. It's literally an electrical, uh, electrical current that flows in your brain. It's been flowing that way for a really long time. And those electrical thoughts become your biochemical feelings, and those biochemical feelings become your electrical thoughts, and it turns into this crazy loop. Now, how do you change that wiring? You change it, number one, by relaxing. You have to relax. The first thing I teach my Money Mind Academy students is to relax. Get out of the high stress, high beta brainwave state, which is most, where most people are living right now. Calm down. Get into an alpha creative state. Because that alpha creative state gives you conscious control over your subconscious mind. And your subconscious control, your, your subconscious mind is where all your habits of thinking, feeling, acting are. What are those actions? Eating not so good foods. The habits of not eating well and stored in your subconscious mind. If you want to change it, you have to relax. You have to get conscious control over the subconscious mind. And you have to visualize. Because here's the thing about your subconscious mind. It's kind of gullible, you know? Your subconscious mind does not know the difference between like a real life experience versus an experience or a vivid experience that you've created in your brain. It doesn't know. And so by having that visualized, imagined experience, really being there in your mind, sitting there for 10 to 15 minutes and creating this experience, like how is it going to feel? What is the movie scene that you're going to live when you have reached your goal of losing 20, 30, 40 pounds? When you do that, your body creates a brand new neural pathway that drops the old one. But you got to keep doing it every single day. You have to be consistent with it. And what happens is the memories that get stored in your brain from doing that actually become memories of the future which is really cool. So your brain actually becomes the experience before you experience it in your real physical reality. How cool is that? But most people, unfortunately, don't commit to the mind part of it. They're too busy to sit down. I'll, I'll be honest, like this morning, I woke up a little bit later than, than usual. I usually get up at five. Today, I got up around seven. I, just, I guess I was just tired. And I was like, damn, it's seven o'clock. I'm not sure if I have time to meditate. I was like, chill, dude go in your closet because I usually meditate in my closet because that's super dark in there. And I did my 20 minutes and I was super happier, much happier because I did that. And so, um, yeah, that, that's how you would do it. And like I said, do your meditation with the heart coherence. And, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners are like biohackers and whatnot. It's really cool to be able to get that data. Yeah, that's awesome. Sean just broke down the science of developing a habit and habits can be good or bad. One of my favorite quotes is, the chains of habits are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. And you just broke it down how you can develop new habits. So I'm going to put all the notes, all the links in the notes of what Sean spoke about. Sean, I have two more questions for you before we wrap this up. What are you uh, grateful for today? Oh my gosh, I'm grateful for so many things. I'm grateful for this interview. I'm grateful for my health. Big time. Grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my health every single day. I acknowledge that. I'm 41 years old. I don't have anything wrong with my body. Like, I am good. My back doesn't hurt. My knees don't hurt. My hips don't hurt. Like, I feel really, really, really good. I'm, just see me in the gym on the treadmill, like, doing intervals. Like, I'm a, it's like I'm 20-something years old. It's crazy. So I'm grateful for that every single day. I'm grateful for having oxygen to breathe. I'm grateful, grateful for my friends 
my family, my community as well. And um, it can just go on and on and on, man. There's so many things to be grateful for. And, you know, that's why it's so important to, you know, do gratitude journaling every single day because where your attention goes is where your energy flows and your energy creates everything. And just by sitting down for literally two minutes and writing down what you're grateful for, you shift your attention away from the things that you don't want and you don't like, and you shift over the spotlight of your brain to the things that you you really love. And that's huge. That's huge. That's enough to put you into a heart coherent state and, you know, you make better decisions, better choices and better actions. Right on. I'm a big believer in in staying in an attitude of gratitude. So I, I second that. Last question for you, Sean. What is your definition of perfect health? Oh, man. Perfect health. Right off the top of my head will be a true alignment, a true coherent state of thought, feeling, and the chemical and structural state of the body. I think that's it. I think it's having everything lined up. You know, Thomas Troward, old metaphysical or mental science writer, he said, um, order is heaven's first law. And, you know, when I teach in my class, basically what I'm showing them how to do is how to get everything in order, not just the mind, but we have to understand just, just real quick that the way that we think, the way that we feel, when we have a thought, your thought creates a chemical and that chemical is a molecule of emotion and that molecule of emotion there's a receptor for that molecule on every single cell of your body so if you're feeling negative emotions guilt and shame and anger which are completely natural and normal emotions to have that's fine we don't want to cut ourselves off from them but if we're in a constant loop of those thoughts and those feelings those molecules of emotion bind to the receptors of ourselves and then that creates a change in the expression of our DNA. And when we're having negative thoughts and negative feelings, and we have negative molecules of emotion always circulating in our bloodstream, we are going to get a not so good expression of our DNA. And that's what leads to disease. See, most people fail to believe that your thoughts very much control your life. In my opinion, not, not a lot of people will agree with this, I think your thoughts and your feelings are far more important than the food you put into your body far more important. So we have to work on that. I always said that my health coaching clients who got better the fastest were the ones with the best attitudes. Hands down. Hands down. I felt like the people who were overly focused on their diet were actually the ones who were the most stressed. And they were stressing over what to eat. What to eat? What can't I eat? Is this organic? Is this not organic? Is this good for me? Is this keto? Did I take in too many grams? They start freaking out. And I think that it cancels out the actual benefit of the diet itself. So we have to have everything aligned. Your thoughts, feelings, and the chemistry and the structure of your body. That's huge to me. That's health. Good question. Yeah, great answer. Where can they go find more of your work, Sean? So many places, but uh, SeanCroxton.com is the spot. The Quote of the Day show is my daily podcast, Monday through Friday, on the iTunes and the Stitcher and the, what else? What else is there? Uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, and SoundCloud. The MindCamp YouTube channel is youtube.com slash MindCamp. And I just launched a book club called the Rich Lit Society, which you can learn more about at richlitsociety.com. I love that name, Rit- literature, correct? Right. 
I was, check out Sean. Sean, I want to acknowledge you because you are not only a, I consider you a, a good friend of mine, but you are a coach. You are a mentor. You're somebody I've been looking up to for several years. You helped me create Keto Camp, and it's helping so many lives. Everybody that I helped for the rest of my life, your fingerprints are on that person. And I love the work that you do. You are the ultimate go-giver. You have an abundance mindset, and it shows with all of your actions, all of your words. And this interview, I'm so grateful for it, and I'm grateful for you, my friend. Thank you for your work. My pleasure, my man. And I'm grateful to you for actually doing it. Because not everybody does the work. You actually did the work. And so I'm proud of you. I'm so happy for all the people who get to have their lives transformed because of you. That's dope. It's really good for you. So thanks, man. Thank you, brother. That was fun. I'm glad that you stuck around to listen to that entire episode because I had a great time talking with Sean. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to learn more about Sean, go over to his website, seancroxton.com. Also check him out on YouTube, seancroxton.com slash YouTube. He has an inner circle book club called the Rich Lit Society. He has a lot of cool things that he are all available online, by the way. So go check him out, seancroxton.com. I'm going to put all his links and everything you need to find him in the notes of this podcast. And I want to thank you for listening to this entire episode. It means so much to me that you are listening to the Keto Camp podcast because there's so many podcasts out there. So thank you so much. I'm dedicated to bringing you the thought leaders in the world when it comes to health, longevity, especially with keto, fasting, and other ancient healing strategies. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're going to get a brand new episode on the Keto Camp podcast. So if you're not subscribed to this podcast, go ahead and do that. And I would really appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. It means so much to podcast creators. So if you find any value from this show, please leave it a rating and a review. If you're interested in getting my fasting cheat sheet, if you want to learn all about fasting, I wrote a ebook. I answer the top 20 questions on fasting and how to achieve amazing results with intermittent fasting. Go ahead and head over to www.fastingcheatsheet.com to claim that for free. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel for Keto Camp, youtube.com slash Keto Camp, if you want to see great keto and fasting content on YouTube. I mentioned this at the beginning, but if you forgot already, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this to your Instagram story, Instagram profile, and tag me in it, at the Benazadi, T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I, and I will make sure I share it and get you some followers back. Let's get this information out there into the world. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with me, and you will hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.